Well, good morning and welcome to Sojourn. It's good to gather with you on this first day of October. If this is your first time being with us this morning, welcome. We're glad that you're here, that God brought you to gather with us. We'd love to meet you after the service. Uh, my name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. I'll be down front after the service, but there's lots of people around you this morning that would love to get to know you and help you get plugged in here at Sojourn uh, to get plugged into this community. So just glad to be here this morning with you. If you need a copy of the Bible this morning, if you just raise your hand, I'll have a couple of guys bring Bibles around uh, so that you can have God's Word in your hand this morning. Read along with us out of the book of Hebrews. And if you don't own a copy of the Scriptures, please feel free to take that with you. Uh, That's our gift to you. We want you to have God's Word not only today, uh, but all throughout the week as well. But as we begin our time, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to help us in this time. So would you pray with me? Father, this morning we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you, the God of all creation, allows us to know you and that we're known by you. And we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy, for being an all-powerful God who at the same time knows the very details of our lives and cares for us. And so, Father, this morning I pray that you would be glorified. I pray that you would be honored. I pray and ask that your Holy Spirit would transform our hearts through the preaching of your word this morning. Lord, help us to be attentive to what you have to say to us, that we would receive it, that we would take it to heart, that we would apply it to our lives, because we believe that what you Tell us what you give us in your word is a gift of grace about what life with you looks like, a good life with you looks like. And so we pray now that you would do a work in us and through us for your glory. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, sometimes I think an often unacknowledged fact of life, at least for pretty much, I would guess pretty much every person in this room, is that all of us have a lot of options about a whole lot of different things. And that's not the case for everyone in the world, but for most people in Northern Virginia, that's the case. I mean, if you think about it, we have options, most of us, for where we're going to live. We can decide which apartment we're going to rent or which house we're going to move into. We have options about what we're going to do for entertainment or leisure on the weekend, what movie we're going to watch, what things we're going to do with our friends. Most of you, I hope, this morning decided what shirt or pants you put on this morning, Your mom wasn't there to help you out to put that on, that you on your own decided and went through a closet to decide, well, do I want to wear this or do I want to wear this? We have the option to set the thermostat at whatever temperature we like. Again, maybe for most of us, but depending on sometimes roommates or spouses, that can be a point of conflict or contention. But we have the option to do that, to turn on our heat or turn on the air conditioning and set it to a certain temperature. We had an option this morning about what we'd eat for most of us where we're going to go out to lunch this afternoon and what we'll have for dinner. My son Isaac, who just turned four, oftentimes when we're asking him if he wants a snack, his question to us is, what are the options? He wants to hear everything that he has to pick from before he decides on what exactly it is that he's going to eat. And with so many options in life, what can start to happen for us is that we start to think a lot of things in life are optional. And sometimes it's even good things in our life that we see as optional, like exercise or eating good or getting rest. We can say, yes, those are all good things, but they're optional things. I don't have to do those things in my life. And God's people in America have not gone unaffected by the many options that we have in seeing things as optional in our life, specifically 
when it comes to our involvement in and engagement in the local church. Being with God's people, like being physically present with one another, can become like exercise. It can become like eating healthy. We can say it's good for you, but it's optional. And I think it plays out in three primary ways. Sometimes we could think it's just me and Jesus. I don't really need the church. Or maybe your thought has been, you know, church is something you go to. It's something you do, but it's optional to get involved. And thirdly, and this one may hit a little closer to home, being connected to and involved in a local church is important. We can believe that, we can think that, we can say that, but that involvement is dictated by my schedule and my plans and my desires. And so if I'm not physically present with God's people on a regular basis, if I miss being with them from time to time because something better comes along, a better option comes along for us, for my time, then oftentimes we don't give it a second thought, don't see it as a big deal. See, as we come to our text today, our our last sermon in this short mini-series in the book of Hebrews that we've been doing in these few verses, we're going to see that gathering with God's people, being physically present in one another's lives, isn't optional, but it is crucial. It's crucial to your spiritual health, It's crucial to your spiritual growth. It's crucial to your faithfulness and our faithfulness to God's call on our lives and our church. And so my hope for us today is that because of that truth, because of that reality, that we would see the beauty and the gift it is to be with God's people. That we would respond in thankfulness today because God has gifted the people around you, this gospel family to be involved in your life. And I also hope that it'll challenge us. It'll challenge us to to press in all the more into this redeemed community as we move forward as a church, striving to make much of Jesus together. Maybe you're here this morning and you're actually just looking for a church. And if that's you, welcome. I hope God will use this time to encourage you and allow you to see that we would love to have you be a part of this community. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never gathered with the church before, or it's been a really, really long time. And if that's you, welcome. We're glad you're here this morning. We want to welcome you, and I hope that this time has been already and will continue to be a time that draws you near to God and draws you to God's people. Maybe you're here and you're going through a difficult time in life right now, struggling to have hope, beaten down or broken. And if that's you, I want to welcome you this morning. We're glad that you're here. And I hope God will bring encouragement and hope to you today, knowing that no matter how messy you are, no matter how messy your life is, that his grace is sufficient for you. And that all these people around you this morning are a gift of grace to you and have messy lives too and are just as desperate for Jesus. And maybe you're here and you either call yourself a follower of Christ or you aren't sure if you're a Christian or you aren't sure that God exists or gives a rip about your life. Welcome. We're glad you're here this morning. May you see the goodness of God in a new way this morning, a way that's irresistible to be with God, draw near to him and be with his people. And so, John, I'm excited to jump in for this last week in Hebrews 10, 19 through 25 with you today. So may God bless the preaching of his word this morning. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Hebrews 10, and we'll read these 
seven verses that we've been looking at over these last few weeks. This is God's word to us this morning. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Over the last three weeks, we've looked at this text and we've seen the reality, the fact that Christ has done this work for us, that because of the gospel, because of the reality of all that Jesus has done, that the author is calling us, this this collective body of Christ, this family that he's brought together, not a bunch of disconnected individuals, but he has called us to action. And he says over and over again, let us. And so this has huge implications for us as a church. We are a church that's founded on the gospel whose foundation remains the gospel. We're a church that's fueled by the gospel, holding on to and holding fast to a hope that we have no matter what comes our way in this world. And we are a church family because of the gospel, united together in spite of our differences, in spite of our backgrounds, in spite of all the different things that could be going on in our lives, we're brought together for our good and God's glory. And last week we zeroed in on verses 24 and 25 to see this this ethos, this core characteristics of what a gospel family is to do with one another. How it looks for us to actually engage in one another's lives. We saw that we're called to consider, to give careful thought, to think about very closely and intentionally how we can stir up one another, how we can provoke one another, how we can catalyze one another like a chemical reaction to live out everything that God has called us to do, to to live out love and good works, all of God's commands for our lives. How you and I are called to help one another to faithfully follow Jesus as King in every area of our lives. And we do that by encouraging one another, by coming alongside of one another, by carrying one another along the way. The reality is, as we talked about last week, this kind of community can be messy at times. But man, it's worth the risk because isolation, whether literally or figuratively, is deadly. Because God did not create you to be a solo endeavor, to ride solo in your life like the Lone Ranger. He called you to be in relationship, to be in community with others. And so spurring one another on to love and good works is a distinguishing mark of the redeemed community. And so our desire as a church is that it would be a distinguishing mark of this community. Let me just say, if you didn't get a chance to listen to the sermon last week, maybe this is your first Sunday here, or you were out of town last week, I really want to encourage you to go listen to it, because it really sets the tone and temper of what our desire is for us as a church as we move forward together in each other's lives. 
You can listen to the sermon online on our website. You can go on iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. And we actually have an app, and you can download that app in the uh, Apple sto- App Store or on Google Play on your phone and listen to sermons that way. But I encourage you to go listen to it if you didn't get a chance. But all of this, all of those things, this, these core characteristics are about what it looks like to be a gospel family. But what we can't miss in this is that none of those things will ever happen if we keep one another at a distance. None of those things will ever happen if we keep one another at a distance. See, you and I need to take advantage of every opportunity we have to encourage and build one another up. And so that's where we're going to focus the rest of our time this morning. See, something we can't miss, something we can't overlook in this text is that the author calls us to live out these core characteristics, to live out the whole of your Christian life in the context of a community that physically gathers with one another, that spends time with one another. I mean, look at verse 24 and 25 again. Let me just read it again. He says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There's two main things we see in verse 25. One is a call not to neglect meeting together. And the second thing is the fact that some are in the habit of, of not doing this, of not meeting together. So so what does he mean when he says meet together? The word in the original language lets us know that this is about regularly gathering on Sundays as the church. But it's also much more than that. It's about this all-encompassing meeting together. It's both the formal and the informal. It's gathering together on Sunday mornings like we're doing now to worship together, to sing together, to receive God's word together. It's gathering in community group during the week. It's gathering together over coffee or a meal in your house. But what is it about these times of gathering that are so crucial to your spiritual health and life? Because again, it's, it's easy to see and to even believe that these are good things, but not essential things. Well, I think it goes back to what we learned the very first week of this short miniseries in verses 19 through 22. As the author recaps all that Christ has done for us, and really the whole book of Hebrews up to this point, that because of who Jesus is, because of the gospel, because of what he's done for us, that he has opened a new and living way for you and I to be in relationship with God, that he's the priest over the house of God. And the house of God is not a physical structure, it's a physical people. The community of the redeemed, the church, because of all of those things, you and I can draw near to God. We can experience his power and his presence in our lives, but we do that together. And so when we gather together on Sundays, when we gather throughout the week, we get to help each other do that. See, our services on Sunday are intentional from beginning to end. They're intentional to guide us together in drawing near to God. Everything we do from the very beginning to the very end. The song we pick at the beginning is an an opportunity to call our attention to the fact that we are worshiping the God of all creation. I know a lot of us come in every week and we're distracted and we're struggling and there's different things going on in our lives, but when the music starts playing, it's a call into here to gather together. 
And then someone will come up and read from God's Word to remind us who it is that we're worshiping, to call us. Let's, let's worship the God of our creation together. So we, we do that, and then we have a time where we sing a song and we're reminded of the greatness of God and the glory of God. And in the midst of doing that, what we recognize is, is that we fall short of that glory. That we've struggled with sin this week. That God is perfect and holy and righteous, and oftentimes we are not. And so we have a time of confession as our lives are compared to the holiness of God. And so we come before God and we confess our sins individually and corporately together. But we don't just stay in confession. We're reminded of the goodness of God's grace and an assurance. And reading God's word over us to remind us that Christ has paid for our sin in full. And then we respond in song to give thanks to God for his grace. And then we have a time of preaching of God's word, believing that his word is living and active in your life, that God's going to use this not to just give information to you, but actually transform your life. Not because of anything eloquent that I say, but because the Holy Spirit uses this time as you're even sitting in your seat to change you. And then we end the time in the preaching of God's word, that first time of application to take communion together to continue to worship God by doing something experiential, by taking the bread and the cup and worshiping him through the fact that Christ's body and blood has been broken and shed for us. And then we respond in joyous singing, praising God, practicing what we're going to get to do for an eternity as we stand before the throne of God and we worship him. And we get to do all of that together. And then we send one another out with a benediction, with a blessing to go out back into the world to proclaim the goodness and the grace of God. All of those things from beginning to end are meant to help all of us together to draw near to God. Martin Luther, the great reformer, which we're about to celebrate 500 years of the Reformation, the end of this month, he said this about gathering of the church. He said, at home, in my own house, there is no warmth, or vigor in me. But in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart and it breaks its way through. And he saw the benefit, the blessing it was to be with and gather with God's people. See, church, it's a crucial point in the week to be reminded and refreshed in the most crucial reality of your life. And it's that Jesus is king, you're not. That Jesus sits on the throne, not you. That Jesus the King is the one who has and is redeeming your life and making you new. This happens as we gather together on Sunday mornings. But that's not the only time it happens. It happens in community throughout the week as well. As community groups gather each week, groups of men and women sit in homes together, people from different backgrounds, different life stages coming together to focus on Christ, coming together to care for one another, coming together to be a community on mission with one another. It happens in the informal times as well. When we have people over to our homes, when we eat dinner with our roommates, and we hang out with one another at a bar or coffee shop, sharing life with one another, sharing Christ with one another, and all those around us. See, all of these things are context. They're context to meet together in order to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works by encouraging one another to follow Jesus in all parts of life. 
helping one another to be conformed to the character and conduct of Christ. And that's what gospel family does. It helps one another to do that. But see, one thing I don't want us to miss, and I, and I think this sometimes kind of breaks down depending on your personality, so I'll say this because I'm a pretty structured person, is that spontaneity doesn't have to mean surfacy, and structure doesn't necessarily provide depth. See, I think sometimes we can think, oh, well, if it's just kind of a quick impromptu thing, then it's just going to be a surfacy conversation, a surfacy relationship. But it doesn't have to be. And just because there's a structure in place, like you go to a community group or you gather on Sunday, doesn't automatically mean there's going to be depth. There has to be intentionality with it. See, the, what the author isn't saying is just by the mere presence of being together isn't enough to be faithful to what he's calling us to in this text. That just because you go to a Nats game with some of your friends from your community or you go to a concert together, those are fun things to do and they're good things to do and we should do those together. But that's not exactly what he's talking about here. We're called to do something with one another. To stir each other up, to encourage one another, to keep following Jesus. So you can do that at the Nats game. You can do that at the concert. You can do that over a meal, but you have to be doing that. In order for us to achieve the call that the author is calling us to, to be the gospel family who's drawing near to God, it takes intentionality in those moments, whether it's Sunday morning, whether it's a Tuesday night community group, or whether it's a meal together. See, Sojourn, when we're committed to having open Bibles with one another, taking God's Word and opening it up with one another and reading it with and to one another, we're committed to having open hearts with one another, both to give and receive to encourage and build up, to listen and learn from one another, when we're, when, when we're willing to have open lives with one another, sharing not just the polished version of ourselves, but the real, raw version of ourselves. It's in those moments that we have the making of genuine, authentic community. See, all of these contexts of gathering together serve as a reminder that you are a part of something much bigger than yourself much, much bigger than yourself, that you're a part of a family that's been bought with the blood of Christ, a family that loves you and cares for you and needs you. Over this last, whatever, however many months it's been, nine or ten months, uh, I've been trying to go to the gym on a pretty regular basis. And it's been good. Thankfully, I've been able to stick with it. But one of the reasons I've been able to stick with it is because I go with other people. And so oftentimes, I, uh, a lot of times during the week, I end up working out with Edward and a few other people at the gym. And so this past Friday, for instance, I was going to go to the gym, and I was going to end up going by myself. He was going to be a little bit later, he thought. But that morning, Tom, one of our other pastors who was up here this morning, he texted me and said, hey, are you going to work out this morning? And Tom doesn't go to our gym, but he was going to come along and just hang out, use a guest pass and work out. And then when we got there, Edward showed up just a few minutes later. So the three of us worked out together. And so we're all there working out. We're doing this intense exercise and lifting and all these different things. And I, and I just thought, and Edward brought this up, man, how much better it is when we get to work out together because we push each other, right? I mean, you're by yourself. You're like, I'm supposed to do 10 of these, but eight's okay. <laughs> you know, but when you got a guy standing there encouraging you, you can do a little bit more. You can press a little bit further. You can go a little bit longer. You can run a little bit faster, not for the sake of competition, but just to help a brother continue to move forward. And there's something about community being together, pushing one another forward, being around God's people. 
See, gathering on Sundays and gathering throughout the week, it isn't just about you. But oftentimes in our individualistic culture and our individualism that still exists within our hearts, we can think about that even when we're here. We can, we can think only about ourselves even when we're here. And so we wake up on Sunday morning and we decide we're going to go gather with the church but we're only thinking about us going and doing that, not thinking about the fact that there's someone that needs to talk to you in the lobby this morning that you don't even know about. That getting here 15 minutes early would be helpful to cultivate community because someone needs you as you're going to fill up your coffee that they're there too, and they just needed to see you today. That who you're sitting next to right now is not by happenstance, but by the providence of God. That as you sing the songs that God has put together, that we've put together to worship Him, that that's encouraging the people around you. That when you're deciding whether or not to go to community group this week or not, not just thinking about, well, do I, do, do I feel tired? Do I feel like I want to go? Instead, thinking about, man, I want to go because somebody else might need me to be there today. And what if we, throughout the week, what if we believed not just that I need community, but that the community needs me? That God's people need me? Now, this might sound good right now. Like, yes, I want to be a part of this where I'm, I'm all in and I'm committed and I'm prioritizing this and I'm pursuing this. But culture, and let's be honest, just the, just the reality of our very own lives oftentimes presses on this. It wages war against this because we oftentimes have too much to do and there are too many other things that vie for our attention and time. And we can think this is just kind of a 21st century Northern Virginia thing, but I don't think it's unique to our overly distracted 21st century Northern Virginia culture. I mean, the author says in verse 25, some are in the habit of not doing this. This is, when this was written, he's saying some already at this point in time, when he's pinning this to paper, he's saying some are already in the habit of not being with God's people, not pursuing that kind of relationship and community. And the habit is a settled or regular tendency or practice, especially one that's hard to give up. So there's a discipline away from God's people instead of a discipline towards God's people. The habit towards being with them. As one scholar points out, he says this, it is sobering to discover that in the early second century in Rome, it was simply preoccupation with business affairs that accounted for the neglect of the meetings of the church. All the way back to the second century, people are saying, wow, I've got too much going on to be with God's people. In other words, we're often too busy with or entrenched in other aspects of work and life to intentionally be with God's people. And as one pastor says, we are often full of motion, but empty of life. We're often full of motion, but empty of life. Man, does that resonate with you this morning? There may be many reasons that someone withdraws from or doesn't intentionally pursue being with God's people. It could be laziness, that it's just not a priority in our life, that it is just an option, but not essential. It could be a, a feeling of superiority. Well, I don't really need to be around God's people. I already, I'm more mature spiritually than, than some of these other people. I don't need to be around God's people. 
Similarly, an, uh, uh, an idea of individualism could be there. That I, I'm good. It's just that me and Jesus thing that I have. I, I don't need those people around me. I'm okay. And I maybe even would think I'm better on my own. It could be sin. That there's something going on in your life. There's something going on in your heart right now where you are walking in disobedience to God. And what you think, a lie from the enemy in your flesh is, the last place you want to be is with God's people because you can't let people know what's going on in your life. For some of us, sometimes it could just be sadness. We're going through a time of depression or sadness or difficulty, and it's difficult for us to even imagine going somewhere and being around a group of people. But no matter what the reason might be for you to withdraw from community, the results are always the same. It's deadly and dangerous. Because without being with God's people, without gathering in genuine, physically present community, we can start to drift. We can start to think that God's commands are actually optional for our lives. And so we pursue holiness maybe in this part of our life and seek to walk in obedience, but this over here starts to become a little gray. There's no one there to encourage us, to challenge us, to keep walking with Jesus. We can start to see things like using everything that God's given to us to make much of him, to giving of our time and our resources sacrificially, that's optional. Because there's no one there to encourage us and challenge us to keep moving forward in that. We can start to see things like showing mercy to the community around us, to those that are marginalized, to being on mission in our neighborhoods and our workplaces and to the ends of the earth as optional. Because there's no one there to encourage us and press us and hold us accountable and help us to continue to walk in faithfulness together. When we don't regularly gather in that genuine community, we start to make poor choices in our lives. We use our money and our resources for ourselves, and we start to make decisions about where we're going to live and where we're going to move and what job we're going to take. But we don't involve our community in that. And we start to make purchases and do things without thinking about and asking people, is this the right thing to do? Is this the most glorifying to God thing I could do? We're not gathering with community. We're tossed to and fro by false teaching in a deceptive culture who is excellent at deceiving you to think there's something better than Jesus. When we don't gather together in regular community, our consciences become seared. And what used to bother us no longer bothers us anymore. Wandering and stagnation takes place. And before you know it, before you know it, you've wandered away, drifted away from the village, and you find yourself out in the middle of the wilderness. And maybe by God's grace, you look up and ask the question, how in the world did I get here? And my guess is, one reason for that is because you haven't stuck with and been around God's people and let them into your life. See, when you neglect regularly being with God's people, regularly gathering, not just when you feel like it, but regularly gathering with the church on Sundays and in smaller communities throughout the week, being with God's people, a people who know you and are committed to you, what you actually neglect is your own joy. You neglect your own joy. Neglect is a pretty strong word. It's an interesting word our author uses. He says, don't neglect this. Don't neglect being with God's people. If you come to our house, if you walked around our house and just trying to observe a few things, what you won't see is a lot of green plants in our house. Because we have killed quite a few of them in our house. 
they're there, somebody maybe gives one to us, and they're, and they're in our house, but they don't last very long because, what, we neglect them. We forget to water them. We don't put them in sunlight, and so they shrivel up and die. Our kids sometimes are better at thinking and reminding us about watering the plants than we are, so we just don't have very many of them because we neglect them. But listen, we don't neglect what we value. There's other things in your life right now that you value a lot, and you don't neglect those things. So if we think about areas of our life we're neglecting, it's oftentimes tied to the fact that we don't value them. See, for most people, I don't have to convince you to eat today. I don't have to convince you to, to eat something. You know you need it. Your body is going to remind you that you need it. It's a necessity for your life. What if we saw community and the gathering of God's people in the same way that you will die without it? That within yourself, you long to be with God's people. That it's, it, that it's valuable to your life. Not just valuable, but essential to your life. What if we saw a gathering together on Sundays and throughout the week as a means of grace, as a gift? That God could have saved you and just said, hey, go figure this out on your own. But he didn't. He saved you and he brought you into a family of brothers and sisters who are on the same journey with you. Now, I want to be really clear here. We're not going to start taking attendance. <laughs> We're not going to like install facial recognition at the back door. So we can just like scan your face and make sure that you were here today. This isn't about being legalistic. And so it's okay to miss gathering on a Sunday morning. It's okay to miss going to a community group during the week. Sometimes you'll have to for different reasons, for different circumstances. But if we take to heart the call of the author in this text, what we want to see in the midst of that, that we hope God's cultivating within our hearts, is that our desire is always to be with God's people even when we can't. That we long to be around our brothers and sisters, to be reminded of God's grace and his mercy in our life, to help us to keep moving forward and to help them as well, believing that the people around you need you to be here and you need them too. See, this presses on our self-reliance. It presses on our self-dependence. Man, that's what the gospel does. It's inherently disruptive to life. It's inherently disruptive to life as is. Not in a, in a chaotic, out-of-control kind of way, but a resurrecting from the dead, upside-down kingdom kind of way. Where we think, well, I've got it all together, and Jesus says, no, you need people. You're dependent on God's people around you. And so the author calls us to this for our own good. And so I want to call us to it as well, to not neglect gathering together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day drawing near. This means that when we gather, it's not to show off. It's not to be pretentious. It's not to pretend we have it all together. It's not to put up a facade to, to appear better than we actually are. We don't gather as a community of the perfect. We gather as a community of the desperate. This is coming together with all of our messes of people still desperate for grace, still desperate for Jesus. We come together and say to one another that this is a safe place and we are a safe people where it's okay to not be okay. And so if you're a tired mom this morning, or a tired dad, 
And this is a place, a community for you to come and experience the rest of Jesus, to be encouraged by that. When you've been struggling this week with being angry or frustrated with your kids, this is a place for you to be encouraged and reminded that Jesus is leading you and guiding you and he's changing you and he's helping you. If you're an overworked person this week, that you would come and be with God's people to experience rest. Reminding, being reminded of the fact that what you do doesn't earn anything with God. Your performance isn't what God's looking for. He's given you grace in Christ. If you're an overwhelmed person, that you would come and you would lay down your burdens and you would let the community around you pick them up and carry you to the cross once again and remind you that Jesus has taken everything on his back for you. If you're a distracted person, that you would come and gather with God's people and in those moments set aside those distractions and focus your heart and focus your mind on who Christ is and what he's calling you to. And if you're a person who's sinned in a major way this week, that you wouldn't run from God's people, but you would see God's people as a place and a people that are going to point you to Jesus and remind you once again that Jesus paid in full for your sin and welcome you in. And for those of you that don't yet know Christ, again, we welcome you here. My hope is, our hope is, if there's anything in this group of people that you see that seems attractive to you this morning, that it's not that we look good or act good, that we're cool or that we're hip, it's that you see Christ in us. Maybe you're here today because a friend invited you or you've been around this community for some time and there's something pulling you to want to be around people like this. If that's you, let me just tell you, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit who's allowing you to see and experience what a group of people transformed by the gospel of Jesus is like. Not a perfect people, but a messy people who are massively and continually in need of God's grace and mercy and help in this broken down world. Simply put, you're experiencing a group of people who believe that Jesus is better than anything else this world can offer you. And Jesus and his grace and his people are available to you too. And Jesus lived a perfect life and he died on the cross for our sin in our place and he rose again from the grave to give us new life. So trust in him today. Trust in him today. Listen, he will flip your world upside down, but he will never disappoint you. So maybe you've been on the fringes of faith hanging out on the side. Let me encourage you today to jump in. Maybe this morning what you realize is you've been on the fringes of community, kind of hanging around the edge. Let me encourage you this morning, if that's you, jump in. Sojourn, when we come together, we declare to one another that Jesus is better, and we need to be reminded of that week in and week out. Gathering together every week reminds us that we're not in this alone. See, I love the timelessness of this text. That this was written so long ago, almost 2,000 years ago, yet it still rings true. The simple reality of being physically present with one another. Being physically present with one another, like face-to-face with one another. Not just FaceTime. Like I can actually reach out and touch you. I can get a hug from you. I can see you. I can hear you. I can just be physically present with you. There's something critical about that. So this means this isn't something to phone in. 
It's not done by proxy. It's not done behind a screen. Technology is helpful to community, but it's never a replacement for it. And so it doesn't matter what technology allows us to do. God's people will and should always gather together. We need each other physically in our lives because God works powerfully in his people when we're present with one another. As we close this short mini-series in Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, I want us to ask one last question of this text. See, we can read all of this and think that the goal of all of this is just to be together as a gospel family, and that's a part of it. It's a part of us for us to build one another up, but it doesn't end with that. Because we're stirring one another up to love and good works. And some of the good works that God has called us to is that we're called to go out. We're called to scatter throughout the week, not just gather together. We're seeking not only to mature disciples, but to make and multiply disciples as well. I mean, we would be a church that would send and be sent. See, we're called to come together regularly, but it's so that we can be effective when we scatter throughout the week in various places. Because we'll stand up today and we'll walk out of these doors and we'll go back to our schools, our middle school or our high school. We'll go back to our campus. We'll go back to our dorms. We'll go back to our workplaces. We'll go back into our neighborhoods with our neighbors. We'll go back to our families. And all of those contexts are filled with people who are desperately in need of the hope of Christ. See, as the redeemed community founded and fueled by the gospel that calls us together, we seek to do mission both from community and mission in community. We gather and then we go. We go to those that are not okay. We go to the messy and the marginalized and we welcome them in to experience the grace of Jesus with us and through us. That they would taste and see that the Lord is good because they get to hang out with people who believe that to be true. That with us, there's a place of rest because Jesus has declared it is finished. And it's the community who sends us out to our neighbors and the nations to tell them, too, that Jesus is better. See, the call of Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 is the reality of what the early church did. We could go back to Acts chapter 2, and we see the early church, they gathered together. And what did they gather to do? They gathered together for discipleship and care and mission. They gathered together to hear God's word preached and taught to them and worked into their lives. They cared for one another. It says they had no one had a need because everybody shared everything in common with one another. If there was a need, it was met by the community of God's people. But then it also says that more and more were added to their number daily. Why? Because those that were outside of the family of God were seeing the family of God, attracted to the family of God, and then brought into the family of God. And that's what we're called to here. It's exactly why community and being with God's people is not optional. The early church didn't see it that way, and the persecuted church today doesn't see it that way. Because they live in a hostile environment where it could literally cost them their livelihood or lives to stand up for Jesus and follow him in every aspect of life. And so they long to be with God's people. They long to be with their family. They long to be with their brothers and sisters because for a lot of them, that's the only family they have. Maybe for some of you, that's the case. As you follow Jesus, you've had to leave other parts of your life, other aspects of your family. But the persecuted church, even today, they, they long to be with God's people, to gather in a basement around a single light bulb or lamp, reading God's word for hours, singing praises to God for hours, praying, praying for boldness. 
boldness so that they can go back out into the world that, it might, that might take all they have, that might throw them into jail, that might put a bullet in their head or a sword to their throat. When that's the environment they live in, when you are living for Jesus in a world that hates him, being with God's people is not an option. So maybe, sometimes, Community and gathering with God's people seems optional to us because we're not experiencing the challenges from living boldly for Jesus in our daily lives now. Is that you this morning? Sojourn, we will flourish and thrive as disciples and missionaries in the context of community rather than alone. So as we close, let me just ask you a few questions, two questions to mull over this week, to think about, to pray through, to talk about in community. What would it look like for you to prioritize and prepare to gather with God's people every week? What would it look like for you to do that? And then how are you pursuing intentional community throughout the week? How are you pursuing it? And it might look different in different seasons of life for you. But one thing that's true is that for the sake of your soul and the soul of others, it is essential. And man, I want us to be a church that longs to be with one another. We just celebrated five years together as a church, and we're praying that God would allow us and empower us to be faithful for another five years, ten years, fifty years together, to gather together, united together because of who Jesus is, and committed to making much of him together. Sojourn, may we be a church founded on, fueled by, and brought together as a family because of the gospel. Amen? We come and take communion each week at Sojourn to end our time always with our eyes and our hearts fixed on Jesus and what he's done for us. Jesus went to the cross to pay for our sin. He went to the cross to pay for our selfishness, but he didn't stay there. He was buried and he was raised to new life to give us life. And we just read recently in community Bible reading in Revelation 19 that when Jesus returns, we will dine with him at the wedding feast of the Lamb. We'll be welcomed to the table to be a part of the family of God because of what Christ has done for us. And we'll be there together in all of our glory that he's given to us, not because we figured it out, but because Christ accomplished redemption for us. But you and I will finish this race not on our own strength and ingenuity. We will finish this race because we ran with others that were going in the same direction. And so this morning as we come forward, let this meal be a testimony to the fact that Christ has saved you and redeemed you and brought you into to be a part of a family. And may we continue to sojourn together in a place that is not our home until Jesus returns or calls us home. And if you're not a follower of Christ, we just ask you not to come forward to take communion because this is a meal of grace. It's a meal that says we are desperate for Jesus. And so if you don't yet know Jesus, if you haven't trusted in Jesus, we just invite you to stay in your seat and pray and talk to God about what's been said this morning. If you're ready to start a relationship with Christ, tell God that this morning and then let somebody around you know so we can journey with you in this. Those of you that will come forward, you can come to the front or the tables in the back. Tear off a piece of bread and take a small cup to drink. And what Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you this morning. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for this time.
We give you thanks for the reality of the fact that we get to be a family together. And so, Lord, I just pray this morning that you would cultivate this within us, that we would be a people who long to be together, not just to hang out, but to intentionally stir one another up to love and good works, to encourage one another to keep following Jesus. Lord, help us not to see the gathering of your people as optional, but essential and crucial to our lives. And then, Lord, send us out from here as we're encouraged and built up by one another. Send us out that our neighbors and the nations might know the love of Christ and you might bring more and more people into the family of God. Lord, thank you for the gift of grace it is to be a part of this group of people that in your providence you have brought together right here, right now. May we honor you in everything that we think and say and do. To the praise of your name, in the name of Christ we pray, amen.